Hello and welcome to Huge Ass Paddock Pass. Episode what are, what are we guys? Episode six? 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 Is episode six. six? I think it's episode six. We're doing okay so far. Um <laughs> I'm your host, Tom Ellison. With me is Andrew Fawcett. That's me. And Alexander Cofford. Yo. And Alexander. Alexander, you're, we're being very formal today. Alright. Well, I, <laughs> I am Thomas Ellison. With Andrew Coffington Fawcett. <laughs> this is your full name. Um, so, how are we all doing today? Fantastic. Yeah, Fantastic. not bad. Um, which is a hell of a lot better than the French Grand Prix. <laughs> what a segue. Do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, just Straight in there, straight in there. <laughs> cutting through, straight through it, just, yep, it sucked. <laughs> it, it wasn't the most exciting race that I've seen in the last decade, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's a combination of the rules, if it's a combination of the drivers, the rules, the circuit, the weather, the... What? I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, yes. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> All yes. of the above, maybe. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> well, I think the French Grand Prix has a stigma of just not being exciting in the first place, so not saying that you're wrong that it was boring. I do not disagree with you whatsoever, but I, I do think it's one of those self-fulfilling prophecies a little bit that people are kind of expecting it to kind of be a letdown mm. and when i mean the last lap was exciting but sure. other than we didn't that, see any of it on the broadcast but it was exciting yeah exactly that's a thing we can definitely talk about is the <laughs> piss poor race director and how I, I don't know really what he's drinking but i would love to hang out with him sometime um but yeah it, it was D minus rate, like I'm giving it a little bit credit. <laughs> That's a little bit of credit just for the final lap, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm gonna be frank. I am not a fan of this circuit. Um, Le Castellet, Paul Ricard, as, as it's known, is like yes, yeah, very historic. It hosted the French Grand Prix back in the 80s, 90s. It had that wonderful long Mistral straight into Sanier's corner. And now it has been transformed into a test drone with 14,000 different configurations and no soul, in my opinion. There's a track uh, in yeah. North Carolina that's called NC Car, and it's designed yes. to test vehicles. So it has constant radius corners, decreasing radius corners, increasing radius corners, and, and you know, every variation in between. And that's kind of what this track feels like, is it's a test bed four vehicles to find the setup that's going to work and make sure that you have a it doesn't feel like a racetrack it feels like a developmental track well it is i mean it was it was used i remember when um when the le mans um rivalry between audi and uh, toyota was at its peak um i know that that um audi and then and then bentley would test at le castellet they do 36 hour runs yep. to test for le mans yep and they, because they could just do that, and that's the sort of environment that you want to host a, a Grand Prix in. It it doesn't fit for me. No, I agree. And um, it's it provo it 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 creates some weird issues with um, track limits, and it creates some weird issues with. We saw a lot of penalties and a lot of issues with cars leaving the track and gaining advantage um i know checo like left the circuit on lap one or two and lap one. Yep. right and he he did what 
the stewards asked like he went around the bollard that like they had set out like if you miss the corner like go around the bollard and they still penalized him because he gained an advantage well which is so yeah a strange so, thing and then let's the talk whole... about that penalty let's talk about let's talk yeah. about checker penalty um first off because right. i sided with the stewards on this one um yep. i don't because if you're not smart enough to realize what the penalty should be you shouldn't penalize someone for following the rules so the penalty is in place so it's much like we have in i think monza we have the similar sort of thing whereby you have a bollard placed off off the track in the escape road right and the the rule is that if you happen to outbreak yourself go off the track then you must go to one side of the bollard before rejoining the track and that's meant to be a palliative for the time taken going through the corner the correct way right so that's fine, and that's probably calculated pretty well in normal race circumstances. Yeah. However, lap one, everyone's breaking hard, got this concertina into lap one. Yeah. Checo messes up, locks up, realizes he's about to take out several drivers. Yes. Takes avoiding <laughs> action, goes on to the goes on to the masses of expanses of tarmac that we have now in these these modern day solace. But they're painted drums. pretty, so it's okay. They're painted very pretty, but they're not soulful. Um, and then goes around the bollard and rejoins. Yep. As far as he's concerned, with the letter of the law, he's complied yeah. with the briefing that they were given at the start, which is if you go off, go around the bollard. Right, but it's However, intended for race pace. For race pace. While he's while he's out there on that expansive tarmac, going around the bollard completely free and easy and devoid of any care, the rest of the field's all checking up, all too, too, too wide into turn one, and working out where they're going to be going, and slowing up. And they're losing a lot more time than they would on the race pace. And so Checo comes back onto the track, having gone round the Bollard, and he's made up two spots. He's made, he, he was past Magnussen. He was yep. behind Magnussen going into the corner, and he was ahead of Magnussen coming out of the corner. But he's why gained we, an advantage. Sure, I, I'm not disagreeing. He gained an advantage. But why do we blame... Why do we not shift the blame onto FIA for not realizing this situation and appropriately coming up with a situation that responds to that in the beginning, in the first place. We but, know that the number one place that all lockups are going to happen where people outbreak themselves and cause issues is lap one, turn one. That's not a shock to anyone. That's never been like a new deal. So when that happens and they stick this bollard out there, that's got to be example one, number one. Hey, we got to put this out here. So if it happens when the guy rejoins, they're at a disadvantage because otherwise why didn't Checo just you know say screw it I'm cutting it I'm going to get a penalty anyways I'm going to take the lead and you know lead the first lap well that's <laughs> what he tried to do yeah. um, so I I understand your point yeah. um, and it, it's it's obviously calculated for race events rather than lap one events and you could argue that if they were to have a bollard that was it's going to be a weird phrase. Having a calibrated bollard for lap one pace, that that would then say lap thirty, where you have two cars battling for position, one of them pushes the other one onto the outside, and they lock up and have to go around the bollard. That would penalise them harshly because yeah. the time taken to go around the lap one bollard is is more than would be expected under normal race pace circumstances. No, I don't agree with that. It's got to be penalised based off of the best case scenario for the person quote unquote breaking the rule. And if someone gets pushed off, like you said, that would be, I don't think, fair to penalize them if they didn't make the bollard, right? Like, let's say someone got pushed off, they didn't, they got their line cut, and they had to cut 
even in between the bollard and the apex of the corner. Okay, so say instead of being pushed off, they made a mistake trying to make a you know an ambitious late breaking move. Yeah, but that's my point. Is if you make the mistake, you suffer the penalty, which is yeah, you might have to lose a significant amount of time for making a mistake. So if they got pushed off, that's them making a mistake as well. No, no, no. If they get pushed off, I mean, this is where we're going to get into the gray area that I'm sure we're going to talk yeah. about in our last lap. <laughs> I, I have a yes, lingering suspicion that we might talk about it. But you see where I'm going with this. <laughs> but my point is, is if you do get pushed off, right? Let, like, let's say, let's make an imaginary scenario where Sergio pushes off someone, and they can't reach that apex, and so mm-hmm. their option is. Do I try to cut back on the track? Do I go straight or do I go way out around this imaginary bollard that we're coming up with? That's when I would say that person has the legal right to just try to get back on the track in a safe manner, but without going all the way out to the you messed up bollard. I see. Yeah. So, yeah, I I get that. Um, You know, that, that leads us into gray areas that stewards can debate yeah. and decide upon in the stewards event. are never but wrong we, we've no <laughs> we've established that yeah i think that <clears throat> i don't know I, I think that it seems inconsistent but the checo penalty makes sense to me um like he did do what was asked but the circumstance led to him still gaining an advantage even though he did what he was asked of so also him, like yeah him getting a penalty i don't feel like he did gain an advantage so i don't feel bad for him getting penalized right. even though it's not it might not be like completely consistent with the letter of the law <clears throat> you know if i was those two drivers that got passed i'd be really pissed off that he gained an advantage doing what he was supposed to you know so i i don't really have an issue with the checo but also i mean penalty. like from a personal responsibility point of view, you're you're a driver. You're behind a black and gold car coming into the braking zone of lap one. Exactly. You go wide. You rejoin. Suddenly, you're behind another car, and you're ahead of the other car. Right. You know what you doesn't. Did. You know exactly what you did. Absolutely. And here's the yes, really unfortunate the side is is I mean, how many podcasts in a row now are we discussing the spirit of the law versus well, the, <laughs> the, you know, and, and that's what it comes down to is, technically speaking. I agree with whatever yeah. I said earlier, but realistically, <laughs> like as a driver, I totally agree with what you guys are standing for, which is, what do you mean? Like, you know, it's that gray area that is so wide. It's not like a little sliver of, well, you did this and this is, no, it's like this giant gulf of, well, we didn't mean it for lap one. We meant it for lap 22. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there is a very easy solution to this, and that's not having any tarmac runoff areas at all. Yeah, so yeah, so frankly, so this is my. I was going to bring this up when we were talking about the um, other incidents with Daniel. Um, yeah, and my my takeaway from this whole thing is Daniel did not do the right thing. Daniel should have gotten yep. penalized because he went off track and he gained an advantage. But in the end, it's the FIA and Formula One for having a crappy racetrack that allows him to do that on multiple occasions and gain that advantage. If that had been grass or if that had been like, for example, when he passed the um, Sauber Alfa Romeo on the, you know, outside of the track, that should be grass. Like every other racetrack, that should be grass or at very least some sort of surface that a car cannot drive on without getting completely destroyed. 
So he really shouldn't have been able to drive around the outside of Giovinazzi like that because it shouldn't. The, you, it's so hard to ask drivers to just say, "Don't go over this line." I know it's last lap and you have a run, but you can't do it. You know, it's kind of it was the a same weird thing. Thing the you, same thing. Yeah, it's just it's it's asking them to be people that they're not. It, right. Here, I'm gonna continue on that for just a second. If you watch the onboard, why did he go to the outside? I have no idea. He had so much room to go Around inside. Um, no, 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 no. After that, on the straightaway. Oh, okay. Right? Not not the initial one, but when he passed on the outside on the straightaway and we got four tires off. Or maybe that was Raikkonen. I can't remember. But I'm just <laughs> sitting there, and I'm just, like, dumbfounded. And I'm like, what is going on, these guys? And it is exactly what you're talking about, where they're racing on a parking lot where there's thousands of lines, right? Yeah. Of all these colors. And it's not a racetrack. It's a glorified parking lot that it really sucked for yeah, a it's, it's Formula event. One autocross, and yeah. it's it's yeah. not great. So um, and like the moves that Daniel made passing around the outside into the chicane, where he goes off the track and comes back on, especially when he's passing Lando. Yeah, like that move would have like if if that had been a proper racetrack and that chicane had had grass. Or even like, you know, sausage curbs or, or or something there to prevent people. Like Daniel probably knew that he could outbreak himself and still be completely like you know yeah, that you, you know you can outbreak yourself or break a little deeper than the guy on the inside and still carry the speed because there's nothing to penalize you. There's he no took a gamble, right? He knew that there was no downside, right? There's no doubt. Da- like what's going to happen? Like he's going to go off the track. Like they might penalize him. They might not. So. Right go for it you know it's last lap it's points you know like go you for as it well. right which i credit him so much because after the race he said exactly that i would rather oh, yeah. be the guy that messed up trying it than the guy that didn't try at all and he said Absolutely. that in so many different ways with so many interview in different interviews and and i was just yeah. so impressed with the way that he handled one of his many interviews uh we'll talk about yep. another one in a second but i fully yeah. agree that yeah, he made a mistake. He outbroke himself, blah, blah, blah. But that was the right decision at that time. And right. if he would have pulled it off, he would have looked amazing. Yeah, yeah he, he owned it. He owned it. And he said, you know, hands up. I'm going to go for it. I'm a racer. And, and it didn't work. To his defense, he did make it work on Grosjean earlier in the race, even though Grosjean claimed he went off the track. And Yeah, but Grosjean would complain about the weather. Right. He complained about... Right. The sun in the sky. Like, so, in his mind, that move worked previously in the race. So, right. But I, I think that I respect Daniel for being, he's a racer. He's like, he'll do whatever it takes to get points, to get wins, to whatever it is. And he did it. And he knew he might have gotten penalized, and he did. And it is what it is. Um, but I don't think, I, I, it's, I find it hard. Like, he deserved the penalties. I think that they are pretty cut and dry. But I also think that you can't blame him for trying because of the box that he was put in you know when you have a track that's all pavement of course you're gonna gonna, of course you're gonna go for it because it's now if 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 that had been if that had been gravel on the outside right and then gravel he probably wouldn't have made that move because like if it was the worst that could have happened was him not finishing the race right like if it was turn one at um catalonia like yeah. there's grass and gravel out there, so like if he had, if he had tried to break around the outside, he went too far. He would have lost those spots, right? right? So it's just I don't know. I it's it's a facet of the, of the sport as it is at the moment, the yeah. circuit design as it is at the moment. Like, and I I understand 
safety and, and I'm all f- <laughs> I, I'm all for I, I really let am. It, like, I know that we can. Let complain. it be understood. We are for safety on the right. Jazz Podcast. We are. <laughs> we're all for safety. Like I know that we're all for safety, like the Halo and, and all that stuff, and and yep. track li- the track, you know, safety. And I know that those big blue strips of Play-Doh or whatever the hell they are are a very very highly abrasive. Right. What are they made of? Car down things. Things. Right. Or something. Right. I get uh, that. Yeah, I get that. But I feel like. You can't make the entire track out of it. Like, just have it for the heavy braking zones. Like, does every <laughs> single corner have to have it? And from a just from a like a you know a spectator's point of view, it's so confusing. Like, you don't know. Oh, what, yeah, it's like awful. The, it's the, awful to watch. The track goes yeah. everywhere. It's 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 almost nauseating with all the lines you're, over you're it. coming it's into the chicane right, yeah. and there are like four different versions of the track yeah. that you can see yeah. in the shot and every and you, every you're corner looks wondering the right you're literally wondering which corner are the cars gonna take because <laughs> right? i don't know exactly all the corners look the same you know like when they're coming into la source or eau rouge or radion or lacan right. like you know what you those know. corners you know are. where the track's going you right. know where the guy's gonna go <laughs> but it's just like yeah there's a guy at work that's this year has been watching Formula One more and more, and he came to my office on Monday morning, and he was like, "What was that track?" And I was like, <laughs> uh, "Just ignore it. Don't worry about it." Yeah, I was like, "It's just I don't know what to tell you. Like it's, yeah." So, so it's yeah. strange. Going back to the I mean, Ricardo thing, yep. two things I want to bring yep. up. First thing is, uh, uh, with his move, did you see the interview afterwards where the guy asked? So Grosjean was pretty mad about your move. <laughs> I did see that. And yes. he was like, he was completely confused. And he was like, wait, <laughs> hold on a second. And he thought about it. He thought about it. Thought about it. It's Grosjean? Yeah, Grosjean. And he was like, the fuck? I was racing with Grosjean? <laughs> he, he, was like, <laughs> I was, he was like, yeah, dude. Yeah. Do you not remember? And so he made a joke about it. And then he, right. you, the interview continued, blah, blah, blah. You know, Ricardo did Ricardo things. And he came back to it. And he was like, I, listen, I'm not trying to be rude to Ricardo. But if I did something wrong, I'm really sorry. But it's just so funny to see unintentional disrespect like that <laughs> in such a polite and jovial way. But it also yeah. goes to show that Grosjean makes mountains out of molehills because oh, he zero percent uh, of me thought that Grosjean should be did, even slightly upset at what Ricardo, Ricardo did. did. Nothing wrong. Nothing wrong in that move at all. Nope. He kept it all. was 100% fair, on track. He was on circuit. Drove around the outside, and it was yeah. just fine. The Absolutely. only thing Grosjean did wrong was get mad. Like, come on, man. What, well, and what he you... himself went off track. Well, yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. He, he, well, what do we expect? It's Grosjean. But he like, didn't I, – I mean, he didn't gain an advantage from it. He was more startled, I think, than anything else. But All right. Yeah. So here's the other thing that I feel like is really frustrating me with racing in general at this point is – how many times, especially in recent memory, has there been a finishing order and then it's decided the actual finishing order later on? So off of the top of my head, with the penalties at the French Grand Prix, that's one. Canada, that's another. Uh, Le Mans GT Am, the Ford GT got booted from mm-hmm. the win. NASCAR just got booted from the win. Yep. Uh, just the last race. So it's really frustrating for me to see all of these penalties being applied after the race that affect the race. Yeah. And we've talked about the Vettel 
and Hamilton incident. So I don't, I'm not going to bring that back up. But the point is, I, I, I feel like it's a disservice to the people that are fans that pay money to watch in person or on TV or just go to the pub and have a couple of beers and watch to have these issues mm-hmm. happen. So I don't know. I mean, do you guys have a better alternative than adding X amount <laughs> of seconds? Because I think I have one and me and Fawcett have talked about it, but I want to know, do you guys, is there a better alternative or is that the best thing that we have? So, uh, so I'm going to yeah. provide historical context, first of all. That's good. That's always been the way Formula One has done it. Since the 50s. Since oh, the inception so... of the Formula One World Championship. Okay, then that's we'll just keep doing that then. <laughs> that has been... It has been time penalties and places determined after the race. Okay. But, now, but do we want that to continue? Do we think that's a good thing? I, I think it's better than the alternative that I can think of at the moment, which is making decisions that would later, making decisions quickly in the heat of the moment that would later turn out to be incorrect. So Fawcett, what what do you have in mind? Um, I was just, what we had talked about um, the other night, we were just talking about it, and that is to, originally we had talked about making drivers give the spot back, like in the Vettel-Hamilton incident, make Vettel give Hamilton the spot back, but um, and I don't think that that's really that only works in certain situations. It doesn't work for like last lap incidents. It's it's too or, or for multiple car incidents. Right. It's Correct. too fiddly. Um, I think what we had talked about, what we felt was something that they could consider is giving grid penalties for the next race. So if you like Vettel would have won and gotten the points for the win, but he would have also maybe gotten a five grid penalty spot and we were saying that and i i think that this has some traction because i think that it it solves the problem twofold you still get the race at canada you still have the race to the finish line and you still have lewis pushing to try to make the pass um and you don't lose that entertainment and you also have a fast driver like sebastian vettel starting behind slower cars which he has to overtake which also creates some interest and some action, and you you are penalizing that driver and creating something interesting for the fans to watch. Um, I think that is something that could potentially work. We'd also talked about docking points or fines or something like that. Or the guillotine. Fine, yeah, the guillotine. Well, I mean, docking points is the same as taking us rearranging positions. Right. right. Docking points is right. Same as rearranging positions, and the fines. The fines thing is not what formula one needs with the current money situation because right. teams would just, you know, pay whatever it is to give a $20 fine to Williams. And they can't show right. it to the next. <laughs> they just pull out. They're like, I got a fiver. No, I, I agree though. I think, out of the paddock. I think a, the second penalty, you say five second penalty is great. If they haven't done a pit stop yet. Right. If, mm-hmm. if that's the issue that causes whatever, before the pit stop five seconds i feel is appropriate and again it depends on the situation there's a million different situations i'm not trying to all encompass them but i i really do think that in a situation like that let's say ricardo instead of qualifying seventh has a five place penalty he qualifies 12th now he has to get through the top end of the toro rossos or or something else and so not only it creates a situation where there's good drama exiting the race, but it gives a good lead-in and a good reminder and a good storyline for the next race. And it's 
kind of a repeating thing. If Ricardo is really struggling, just using him as an example, not saying that he actually struggles at this. Let's pretend that he struggles at passing the next time around these slower cars. Well, then, sweet, we're going to double or nothing, and you're even farther <laughs> back. And right. and that's your that's like a self fulfilling prophecy in a way. If you can do it right, you get credit for it, and if you don't, I, you get penalized, and it gets worse and worse and worse until you know until you're stuck in Kubitz's seat. I think I think the idea works and has merit in a spec formula series. Okay. I question whether it works in Formula One for for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, Vettel doesn't care if he gets a five place grid penalty because he's finishing fourth at worst the next race, regardless. Right. Um, so he'll do what he needs to in the race beforehand to win. Right. Second, is this not a little bit prone to manipulation by teams? If you deploy your second driver to disadvantage the championship leader. Mm. Um, and sacrifice his grid place at the next one um, in order to promote your, your primary driver and give them an advantage in the current And race. I understand that. I don't disagree with that whatsoever, but I do think that until proven wrong, trying new things is worth it. Which... I agree. I agree. And if, if you know, if, if this were... <laughs> if we were somehow given control to the Formula 1 series, which, God willing, that's the plan... Um, <laughs> We're ready. We were somehow we're ready. Involved, <laughs> involved in the FIA end of season discussions. We're ready to spring us in, guys. Yep. Um, then I think you know it would be something that we would certainly we would want the teams to to discuss. Yeah. And mm-hmm. see if you know that would maybe more amenable to them. And I agree with you entirely that it that it would be a better service to the fans for wanting to see a decisive uh, race with good good hard racing, but with a decisive finish on the day. It, it would it would solve that that aspect. I, it's I hard for casual fans to understand that the race is not solved within an hour of crossing the finish line, or not an hour, but in GT Am for Le Mans, it was well after an hour, right? Uh, but yeah. racing in general, I just feel like sometimes it's difficult to understand, and it. And this may be the fact that we've had we've had a series of races that have been unusually impacted by this. Right. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Like I remember t- taking you all the way back here to 1994. Oof. Um, oof. You guys remember the 1994? I do, because I'm old. I sure do. Um, Being alive, not so, anything about racing. No, no. So the Formula One World Championship that year uh, was Michael Schumacher versus Damon Hill, Benetton versus Williams. Yes. And there were a series of races in the middle of the season. Um, I'm thinking at the moment of France, Belgium, and Great Britain, um, where the race result was amended after the fact due to various transgressions by both drivers. This is nothing new. Um, right. It's a facet of, you know, sometimes you get these perfect storms and perfect conditions that combine over a series of events to to cause some sort of fracture in the, in the current rule set. Yeah. And things maybe stabilize in time. Um, so I, I think, you know, fingers crossed, next race will be probably pretty clean. Where is the next race? Austria. Yes, Austria, yeah. old school circuit. Yeah, Austria's um, good. I like Austria. It's got gravel traps and mm-hmm. grass. And is that where the Mercs collided before? I mean, yes, I'm just... That's, Mercs definitely collided there. Okay. They also blew up last year that, as well. Okay, so this is... I am praying to the Austrian gods of blowing up Mercs because... Not, nothing against them, but man, I, I just need something else other than yep. a Merc winning. Yeah, I mean, so Lewis, Lewis... So dragging ourselves back to the French Grand Prix, Lewis won again. 
And and, and you can't <laughs> you can't hate him for it though. Yeah. I don't hate like, him. I love rooting against doing, him. I think he's a phenomenal driver. But yeah, he's um, doing what he's paid for. But I really feel that the I, I feel Mercedes has knocked it out of the park so well that I mean, let's face it, over the turbo hybrid era, they have just yeah. it's not fair, to be completely honest. They put the most money in, they knocked it out of the park, and it's it's not close. He's Lewis has won fifty one percent of all races since the turbo hybrid era has started. Yeah. Um, yeah. On the other side, Pierre Gasly has won zero percent of the races and Listen. has only been ahead of Max Verstappen for three percent of the laps. So <laughs> that's an excellent stat. I like it. That is I, I like it too. And if you're it's curious at statistic. when that was when Verstappen started on pit lane, you would be correct. <laughs> so and that was only three percent. I wow. am going to present should. Pierre Gasly, maybe be replaced. Uh, it's a tough question. I've heard rumors like, of Kvyat taking the seat. Uh, but how, mm, okay, so as we've discussed in the podcast recently, Max is alongside Lewis the best driver of this season. Absolutely, not. easy. I think, I think I think we're all agreed on that. No. Whoa. No. Who? Who else? Who else would be? No, no one. But to put Lewis in Max's realm i think is absolute max has finished ahead of his teammate 16 straight races and 22 if you don't count dnfs i feel mm. like to put lewis in max's realm right now is a disservice to max verstappen okay okay I'll, i'll get behind uh, that I'll get behind that with the caveat that Lewis still won the championship. Well, yes. yeah, I, I feel um, like two boosted monkeys, if they're in the <laughs> whatever, would win. Yeah, okay. Well, I exhibit A, Nico Rosberg. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, he's a good boosted monkey, though. We like him. Do we? We like to make fun Smuck of him. How about it. that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Barbie. Sure. Yep. But Brittany in the wall. Yep. Um, okay, so Max, yeah, we agree. Top driver. And performing now at a level that we all thought he was capable of in those early, you know, races where he was having trouble with consistency. Yeah, sure. Um, now he's performing. Is Gasly underperforming? It's really tough to know, right? It's yeah. difficult. Could you put anyone up against Max? They're going to look... In, in, the, in the state that Max is driving at the moment, they're going to look poor by comparison. Especially in a team that's basically built around Max. Right. It's the same, it's the same uh, thinking back to the Ferrari years with Michael Schumacher. I came. He yeah. dominated his teammate, be it Rubens, be it um, Eddie Irvine, mm-hmm. dominated him throughout the season. But could there have been someone that would have run him close? Probably not. Other than the top, the other you know top two drivers of the of the time, maybe Mika, maybe um, maybe even Juan Pablo at the time when he was really mm-hmm. on it. JPM, JPM, bless him, yeah, Colombian master. I love him. I love that guy. I um, I came into this expecting to fully argue with you guys, but I, I totally agree. I feel like um, there's only, uh, to be honest, I feel like there's one person on earth that could stand up to Max, and he retired to go fail at IndyCar a year ago. And other than that, boy Nando. other than that, I feel like every single driver would be at a disadvantage. I feel that Red Bull is designed to A, be promoting their number one driver and be yep. the second driver secondary. C. That's why Danny Rick left, as we know. Right. Yep. 
C, I believe that Honda is nowhere near where we thought they were. And the rumors are coming out that they're kind of realizing that and that they went from targeting Merck and Ferrari and saying, hey, we're going to beat them to like, oh, crap, maybe we're not even close to Renault. And D, that Red Bull in general has realized that throwing your number two driver under the bus over and over and over and over again does not create an environment that is good to flourish in and someone no. that I think is as good as Pierre Gasly. I don't think Pierre Gasly is going to be the next, you know, Michael Schumacher by any means, but I believe he's a phenomenal driver. He has, he's one of those people that have a really good outside chance at a championship, but in that environment, he is getting strangled and can't contend with the issues. Well, I think he needs to be realistic, right, yeah. in his position. He needs to understand that he is a number two driver with a very strong number one driver who's had a team built around them. And they need to be, he needs to be content with that situation. If he yeah. starts overdriving the car, if he starts complaining in the press, if he starts, you know, getting very dissatisfied with that situation, then Red Bull is just going to get rid of him because that's not what they need to drive the team forward in terms of harmony, in terms of a cohesion. And here's the other issue is who does Red Bull have? Uh, you talked, Fawcett talked about Kvyat. I mean, we've we've seen he, him he, under pressure. No we've seen him in a Red Bull. We've seen him in a Red Bull. I think yep. Kvyat is super talented. I think he's insanely talented, but I also think that he is someone that probably needs to go step by step by step by step. Do you think okay, I have I have someone from left field that I think could be good in the Red Bull. Can Here I make can I make two guesses? Sure. Cuz I have I've pulled up possible people in case okay. you guys wanted to argue and whatever. Okay. These are people in the Red Bull driving program. Oh, no, no, no. I, I do not believe. I forgot who their junior driver is, but why would they want that guy that came on a caution to wreck the leader out? Uh What's his name? Oh man, oh, okay. I would be shocked if Red Bull pulled up <laughs> him. I would love yeah, to root against him for him. my entire life. Um, the two people I would guess would be number one, my favorite driver of all time, Stoffel Van Dorn, and <laughs> I am dead serious. Okay, I'm not. which I will talk about in just a second of why. And second okay. would be Jean Eric Verne. Neither of those. Jeff. No, yeah, neither of those. Sorry. So the person I'm thinking of that was just announced today, uh, as of recording this Tuesday, to have a seat for this weekend in a Red Bull Junior Series is Patricio oh, yeah. Award. Um, ah. He's a young Mexican guy. He has shown tremendous pace in IndyCar, in IMSA. Um, he's a really very talented driver, and... I think that to get the interest, he, he, he's been kind of hanging out with Red Bull for the last couple of weeks, I think. Um, and for him to gain a seat to uh, that arena from American open wheeling racing and American, uh, he's been pretty dominant in Indy lights too. But I feel like to gain that notoriety from this side of the pond is pretty impressive and i think that he's definitely put in some really impressive drives in all the series he's competed in so that's who i think could potentially you know i maybe not this year maybe not next year but in the next 
two or three years. All right. I'm Pat- thinking more immediate. Okay. I, I can see that maybe long term. Um, I'll trust okay. your accolades to him, but yeah. I don't see he's them. Still young, right? I don't he's really very think Red young. Bull has anyone other than Fiat for immediate, and I don't think they want to do that immediately. Yeah. So I, I will throw another name out there, okay? And this is based upon my own personal understanding of what Red Bull needs. Is it, is it you? number two. It's not me. <laughs> Because I don't fit an Adrian Newey packaged car, let's be honest. <laughs> not many um, people do. <laughs> not many people do. Um, so, you, you need a solid number two who, A, has accomplished much in his career already, mm-hmm. who will reliably back up the team number one, provide good testing and performance, and be solidly on the pace. Don't say Felipe Massa, please. And it's not. F- uh, Felipe Massa, I love the guy. Okay. He's done it. He did that at Ferrari. It's not him. No, it's Brenton Hartley. Interesting. He is the guy that I think could be a very good number two driver for Red Bull. Why? He. But but think about it logically in the sense of why would Doctor Helmet Marco come up and say that when he got replaced at? You you know how the pride works at the Red Bull system. Why would they back up and change direction when they dropped him? Hmm. Well, they brought Kvyat back after they dropped him. It's true. Um. I feel like Kvyat is one of the top ten, top seven talented drivers in Formula One right now. I don't think Hartley's top ten, top fifteen, top nineteen. He he was solid as a member of Toro Rosso after being brought in late. Yeah, he's got a lot of experience behind him. He's won a lot more. He's done single seaters. He's now testing for Ferrari, by the way. He's a development driver for Ferrari at the moment. So is Giovinazzi. Um, so is, and, and, and Pascal Verline as well, actually. Remember oh, that? yeah. <laughs> bring him He's back. Also, I love bring him. Bring him back. Fucking bring them all back. Um, I, that's, that's not going to be... He's not going to be a race winner for, yeah. for Red Bull. But that's not what they need. Red Bull does. Yeah, that's true. They don't I need agree. a race winner. They need someone to to push Max to, you know, show what the car can do from a from a average talented driver. Okay. To back him up, to set up the car, and that's, to... So why him over the two I said? Because Stoffel was four-tenths off of Alonso, which we know Alonso would do that to the entire F1 field other than Max. And, you know, Jean-Eric Verne would be right there with him, ready to take a Formula 1 seat. I think both of those are more talented. They're both tearing up Formula E. Jean-Eric Verne is way ahead. and And they're both ambitious to go to the next step they both want to beat max yeah they both want to win and that's I, not yeah. what they need but yeah. i think at this point when you've already been relegated to well you're not a formula one driver anymore this isn't esteban Ocon where he's sitting there standing next to toto wolf being totally creepy <laughs> on the cameras being like yes this Hello. is my spot <laughs> one day this will be me. yes bot ass messed up and now here i am sweet there it is <laughs> there it is right yeah so there no I, I feel but, like those two I are think, more plug and play if you're going to do something drastic. No, I think Tom's on to hear some uh, onto something here because Brendan had a seat in Formula One, lost it, went and raced sports cars for what five six years or whatever it was, yep. came back to Formula One, and was decently you know I think he had gained a lot of experience with Porsche and all that and came back and he he I, I think he would I think he would just be grateful for a seat. Um, and I think that that would lend him to and he was, being a good support when, driver to Max. When he when he was teammate to Gasly, um, he wasn't that far off him, frankly. Yeah. Okay, so he outscored him in a few races. Let's go back to the main point, which is 
Okay. Whether Fernando Alonso is in that seat or me, <laughs> right? The, it's not the you, be- mate, Well, sorry. I know, but the best to the worst, right? <laughs> the very top to the very bottom. Red Bull's locked in their place. Yep. You can put anyone in that second seat. They're not going to beat Ferrari, and they're not going to lose to McLaren. So do they need to replace Pierre Gasly this season? No, they don't. And no, they don't. Okay, good. They We're don't. all in unison. Absolutely not. Period. Yep. They don't. Unless he starts acting up. And by yeah. acting up, I mean either overdriving the car and you know failing to finish because he's overdriving the car, or making a noise in the press about how it's not fair he's getting second class treatment yeah he should be extraordinarily like, happy he's getting second class like treatment we've seen well i don't think Max any Rattin. driver i don't think any driver could go into red bull and expect to be the number one no but you know? danny rick did mark yeah. Webber did if we're going yeah. back historically yeah that's true well in this scenario i think it'd be a little bit different i don't think even if vettel came or even lewis uh they should have a rightful thought to be hey i'm going to be the number one driver next to max yeah. No, I agree, um, but I think I think in those two s- scenarios, then maybe you can start having the conversation about whether he's the right fit. At the moment, he's just doing the best he can, and he deserves a chance to keep doing that. I agree, yep. especially when we've Frankly. seen people like Ricardo come. You know, he slowly come to terms with their car, and and, yeah. and it's not just him. Everyone when they get in a new car and it's pressure, it takes him a while. So I, I feel like, yeah, we're in agreement that he deserves some time. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so that that's 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 the takeaway. Pierre Gasly deserves some time, so give him some time, Red Bull, please. Yes, please, please. Otherwise, we'll uh, we'll send you an email. I know Christian Horner is an avid listener. So. I know I know Christian's listening. <laughs> I know that Doctor Helmut is listening avidly. We have listeners in Germany. It might be him. It's not Sven Demmel. So it's not Sven Demmel. We know that. Rip. But he'll never hear that, so it doesn't matter. No. Um. Oh, so man. briefly. Yes. So that was the French Grand Prix, and we actually, to be honest, we we talked a lot more about the French Grand Prix than the race deserved. Um, I'll be honest. Fair. But it wasn't the only race in France recently. It was. Was it? Tell us about that, Fawcett. Recently, the uh, twenty four hours of Le Mans we has has happened hey. between our last recording and now. Um, it was a pretty interesting race. I felt. Um, I thought there were some good battles, uh, and a very interesting finish. Um, where Toyota <laughs> number oh, seven. Oh God. It's like, it's just, it's like watching a train wreck. You just can't look away. So they basically put a stick through the spokes of their bike and they had a puncture an hour from the finish. They're like comfortably, like they dominated the race, right? The number seven yeah. car, they dominated the race. They were like way faster than the number eight car. The number eight car, like ver- led very few laps. And that's the number eight car with a with Fernando world champion right, Fernando right. Alonso driving it right. Right, and that's yeah. the car that yeah. already had they had already the cinched the yeah. right, they had already clinched the championship. Yeah, and so this is the last race of the season, you know, and so pretty much all those guys want is a Le Mans win, right? And sure. an hour to go, they have a comfortable lead. They have an alarm on the dash. There's a puncture. They come in. They replace one tire. And it wasn't the right tire. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot and they, they 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 sent him back out on track, and he basically had to limp it an entire lap of of Le Mans um, with a, an alarm on the dash saying, you know. And then the car came back in, and they put four tires on it this time. Um, but at that point, it was an hour left in the race. The other car was good to the end, and yep. they couldn't make up the gap. And they basically just gave Fernando another. 
24 hour win which i really like fernando so like i can't complain and i really don't like um jose maria lopez so like <laughs> double good he yeah, was not. driving the other car so like <laughs> that's a double whammy really it's a win right but i still like you still don't like to see the car that dominated have a stupid issue that could have been alleviated by just replacing all four tires but you know whatever. it, it could have probably diagnosing <laughs> which tire to replace yeah. um I feel like if you're going to be on the pit crew of a more winning team, you should be able to tell which tire's flat and which one yeah. isn't. Yeah, it was it was Shades of Le Mans a couple of years ago where they screeched to a halt with one lap left. It was just like, yeah. oh no. Toyota's the only LMP1H and they still find a way to, um, you know. But, I mean, um, but that car still finished one too, right? right? Their car still finished they one still too. Won. They still won the race comfortably over, I think, several laps over the other SMP, uh, privateer I think, cars. Yeah. With Stoffel. Um, Stoffel was third. Yeah, Stoffel. Way. Yeah. So yeah, other, other than that, it was pretty interesting. Um, GTE AM was kind of the same thing, where it was like a runaway, and then, and then uh, they... actually we kind of discussed it earlier. The car got penalized, which I kind of so what so what happened there? They had so basically six tenths of a yeah. gallon larger tank, and this is one of the four GTs, correct? Yes. And their fuel um, delivery system fueled too fast. So they literally had more gas and it was delivered faster. And I think it came out to be someone did the math and it's probably napkin math after a couple beers, but I think it was like 13 minutes worth of gasoline that uh, was the difference. Based based upon the, the aggregate pit time. Correct. Which would be a massive difference and would have cost them the win anyways. Right. And it was an issue from what I read and Ben Keating, who is the, gentleman driver that funded the whole thing and he runs a car yep. in imsa he was really cool about it and in all the interviews afterwards he's like look our car br- broke the rules we didn't do it intentionally and i'm not gonna appeal it i'm not gonna complain like we were out of regulation and that's the matter of the fact so i kind of respect that um i think they said that there was an issue with after the car had arrived in france there was an issue with the bop and that's what it was something with the BOP, like they Correct. didn't yeah. it have enough like time it to like implement it. Miscommunication until they realized, yeah. oh crap, we messed up. Because they were the only. It was the first time that Ford has run a GTE AM car, and they were the only. Obviously, they were only one competing in that class with that car. So it's kind of yeah. you know. But yeah, other than they that, have a, they have a, yeah, they have a, they have a sample size of one to try. Right, and <laughs> right, right, right. And, and they had to yeah. totally adjust it because they were dead last in qualifying, and they made public pleas. Oh my God, we're last. We need BOP to be balanced because we're screwed. This right. is not. Which I was close. kind of, I was kind of pissed about that because the Astons showed some really good pace, the Pro Cars did, um, and then they qualified really well, and then they they just nerf the crap out of them for the race like it between seems, seems very weird to do yeah. this between qualifying and the start of the race to, between qualifying and the start of the race right and it took it took Aston out like they just didn't have the pace and they ended up crashing um one of the cars wrecked heavily and the other car had a off-track incident too so i mean that might have been part of the but before those incidents happened the cars were just slower um yeah. they just and i i don't like that like i don't like be BOP is kind of necessary evil, but I definitely do not like it between qualifying and the race. Because one, qualifying trim is different. Like, the cars are set sure. up differently. Absolutely. And, and two, like, I don't know. You just can't. It, it just, it's sweeping the rug underneath from someone. Like, 
your car is this, and then all of a sudden we're going to change it overnight, right. and then and, it, and, it, and if you get it wrong, right, then that's the thing. They messed up for the entire year, right? It's, it's yeah. really a very strange concept, especially when they double so. dip when they do horsepower, you know, with via, via the boost, yeah. and they're going to do weight and they do fuel yes and so yeah it's like we're gonna all encompass all of these different variables to try and to you make better make right. sure your model's absolutely spot on before right, right. and so it's like if, if you're you gonna take away five horse power from a car i understand that but i agree yeah. that if you're gonna change all of these aspects at the same time unless there's something super egregious oh yeah 100 like if you want to give them 10 kilograms or if you want you know like that's something that's not gonna like and I feel it, like it's a pe- it's a penalty, but it's not like we're gonna give you 15 kilograms, and we're gonna give you a smaller intake restrictor, and we're gonna you know yeah. it's just like all the it's just kind of too much. So, uh, it is. It's it's weird. So the other but, race, uh, I I mean, I'm more of a Nurburgring fan to be honest. Yes. And so the Nurburgring 24 <laughs> was also great oh, race. What a what a place. And so God, it, yeah, I just absolutely love the. I mean, I respect Le Mans for what it is and the pinnacle yep. of endurance racing, yep. if you will. But I love that some of those cars out there in the Nurburgring 24 are so far off a pro yep. drive that I'm like, I love it. I love it. I want to see well, they're, 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 someone yeah, driving they're, they're a bus a out there drive. in a Nurb 24. So that's so that's well, like there were some trucks on the track, Frank. Absolutely. I so so that's that's what's great about these two events like you have Le Mans which is like this prestigious sports car race with the best of the best of the best plus you know some gentlemen drivers right millions of dollars invested it's the most prestigious 24-hour race in the world and then the next week you go to the Nürburgring 24 and it's just chaos and I love the juxtaposition of those two events I think they both stand alone and, and are good for their own reasons but I love them both for much different reasons so like watching a full factory supported like gt3 team pass like a clio cup car <laughs> right the fact that it's, it's, a, it's a clio cup car with the words rent this race car on the side yeah it's, it's like, like it's, it's so just, really guys <laughs> it's amazing and i absolutely love it and the best um, part is oh, is I'm, we all call we have a group chat that we all bullshit around in we're like that car is going to be on fire later and yeah. without too much variable we're kind of right on which car is going to be we're in the wall we're generally or, pretty on pretty on at that point yeah, yeah it was on fire yeah. that but, poor manta that yeah. was inevitably uh, going to have a manta. massive accident Aww. the manta everyone loves the manta but it was a, it was a good race it's always a i feel like no matter what happens at the nerve like there are other you know 24 hour races that i feel like could be you know kind of boring but i feel like it, no matter what, you're always going to get a really good race out of the. It's game. it's it's such a tough race as well, given oh, just the nature yeah. of the track. Like that, I think in honestly, in twenty thirty years time, people will look at that footage and think, "Why the hell would we do races <laughs> around there?" Well, this even makes no sense. Okay, even I was I was like two a.m. on on Sunday morning here, and I'm like watching it, watching two Audis battle in the middle of the night, and like they they come off the Dottinger Ho and they're coming onto the the Grand Prix track, and like. They're blasting through, and then all of a sudden, they like both go single file, and there's like three trucks, like flatbeds, you know. It and can't you're just, be safe. And it's you're just, just like, that's not safe. But at the same time, you're like, that's kind of gnarly. Like that's cool, <laughs> you know. Like it's it's it's, it's awesome. It's, it's crazy. Like, we have the live stream on YouTube and yep. this commentary, and like we can follow yes. the live time. It's great yes. for spectating and bringing sports car fans together around the world. Yes, it's just 
I don't know, man. I I think I think I think it's weird. We're in we're like in a golden era of sports car racing. Absolutely. Moment, which comes along every so often. We had one in the '60s. We have one. I would say in the uh, '80s maybe with Group C. The, the late '80s with Group C, yeah. as you say, with the Porsche and then Jaguar, oh, yeah. with IMSA, and then with the Le Mans battles at the time. Yeah, I'd say the late two thousands would be a silver. Right? right, I mean, that was like a, like a small peak, but yeah, I yeah. agree. A small it's peak, so but now awesome. we're back into this this yeah. this this golden age, and like we have yeah. massive appeal around the globe, and the unprecedented one... media, and it's right. it's a great thing. The cool thing that I love about uh, events like the Nurburgring and um, Bathurst is similar to this too, is that they live stream the race for free to YouTube with yep. Radio Le Mans doing the broadcasting, oh, so which awesome. is, yeah. they're the they're the industry standard, like, they're the best commentator group ever, and so it's free commentary, free coverage, you can watch it, um, It and I, I'm i not saying that every race series should do that, and I don't think it's feasible, um, but I know the Bathurst, helps. the Bathurst 12 hours, the same thing, like, if you're in Australia, you can't watch it for free, but if you're outside Australia, you can watch that race for free, so I think it right. really helps grow the sport and the viewership and say, like, like, what if you're just, like, you know, you're just, like, scrolling through YouTube, and you're like, what is this, 24 hours in Nürburgring? And then all of a sudden you get sucked in. Does anyone even oh, live in Australia? Cool. <laughs> I don't nah, know. It's just spiders. Spiders yeah. and criminals. That's yep. what I thought. But um, I agree. Hello to so our Australian awesome. listeners, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But it was a good race. Um, Porsche kind of ran away with it. They always do. Team Manti Racing are – that's just their track. Um, they've always done well there. They've won numerous races there. They're They're – um, shop is actually based at the racetrack um, yep. so they, they were dominating they had a penalty late in the race um, with a speeding that's one of the other interesting things too is it's one of the few tracks and combos where there's not a safety car um, there's slow zones which is kind of an interesting which which work and then they don't right they work until they, the right they work until they don't when there's you know a massive that was such a scary accident on the Dottinger Hill did um, that guy fall asleep on the dotting room? No, know. he couldn't. He, just, see, he yeah. couldn't see he couldn't the signs. See. He yeah. couldn't see the flags. He couldn't see the car dark. not driving really fast in front of him. No, you yeah. you can't judge speeds over a crest in the dark. Plus, at that at that, at that maybe time. it was Plus just the camera with, angle, but it really looked like he just. I don't know. Yeah, and I also think that it's the nature of the track because the rest of the track is so intense for the driver that once you get to that part you relax a little and you're not maybe you're not paying quite as much attention hyper aware right like if you're if you're racing around like the ring you know like there's so many corners and so much could happen but then when you get to the straight you really don't expect um anything but uh porsche got hit with a penalty they basically sped um which you know that's kind of cut and dry if you speed in a thing and uh, Audi won it. Audi had some really great battles with themselves. Um, not the same team, but the, the Audi um, R8s had some really great battles. Some yeah. interesting, uh, I don't know if you saw the Rene Rast incident, um, but he was battling an Audi that was very dangerously blocking down the Dunninger Ho. Rene Rast went off into the grass at. Oh, yes, I did hour. see that. Yeah. Which they both, they both were taken out of the race of that incident. The one. Um, had to pit because the tire was going down the Mercedes, and then Rene didn't pit, and his tire went down on the GP circuit. Um, yeah. But two fantastic 24-hour races. Um, I agree. I th- it's, th- it's those been two a, it's races. Been a to watch. Those two races to me are the are the highlight of sports car racing for the year. Um, not to say that there aren't good races the rest of the year, like um, 24 Watkins hours of Glenn. VIR. Yeah, <laughs> 24 um, hours of VIR. Yeah. 
chunk um, ten plus ten at indie. Yes, um, yes. I guess it you would know, you be got... slightly biased, but I, I think yeah. my two favorite twenty fours are the Nurburgring and then Spa, in for different reasons, right? We talked yeah. about the chaos for Nurburgring, but Spa is all GT three. Yeah. It's all the same, yeah. and not saying it's actually this, but theoretically, everyone has a chance at one yeah. class. So yeah. it's kind of the, I, I, the yeah. two ends of the spectrum. And I know, obviously, we know not every team has a chance at the 24 hours of spa, but that's kind of the two opposite ends that really attract me and say, this is yeah. awesome. I really enjoy it. And, and having everything, you know, the same class, everything's relatable, everything's balanced. Yeah. It's, it's, more, it's more believable as, as a spectator that yep. this is grounded. This is something that I can really get invested in. So and that, it brings it back to that sort of grassroots absolutely. style. But, um, yeah, these this is kind of the highlight of the sports car racing year. Uh, other than at the end of the year, we have um, Petit Le Mans, which I think is an also another great event. But two great 24-hour races, um, lots of lots of good racing going on. So, yeah. I agree. So um, on that vein, as we've been going from Formula 1 to... Uh, so sports cars. Um, we mentioned Champ Car, 24 hours of VIR, the pinnacle of any endurance racing calendar. As we Clearly. Um, we're going to continue um, our interview series and uh, indeed our introduction to affordable and accessible motorsport by bringing in another member of Team Huge Ass. This is Evan Merrill. Evan, are you here with us? Hey guys, yeah, I'm here. Great to be with you. Hey Evan, good to see you. Good to have you here in the booth and welcome to Huge Ass Paddock Pass. Um, so why don't you tell us a little about yourself and the history of the team? Sure. So uh, myself, I got started in sim racing maybe uh, six years ago or so. And then when I got out of college uh, two years ago, I started racing as hard as I could. I'm a Miata freak through and through. I <laughs> uh, love racing them, driving them every day. I've been daily driving them for like three years now. I just can't get enough of them on any surface. ambitious in upstate New York. Yeah, but I, I get around. I live on a 600-foot hill, and I've never gotten stuck. So <laughs> snow tires are the way to go. Get and huge ass I got into um, yeah a few years ago when started racing with you guys in the league and you know over time that came together and uh, love to be with you guys and have a ton of fun racing with you over time. Awesome, Evan. So how long have you been real life racing? Um, I'm on my third season now. It's been uh, not too much so far this season, but um, yeah, uh, two and a half seasons. Okay, and so you recently got into ice racing up in, like we said earlier, New, upstate New York. How did how did you get into ice racing? Uh, actually, one of my buddies from college, uh, one of my car friends, uh, found out about it, and we went. Uh, it was about three years ago or so, just to check it out and do a lunchtime session. Um, and then from there, the past two years, I've been uh, doing it because it's so much fun. So two years ago, I raced on unstudded tires. Last year, I was on street studs, and we'll see what we do this year. But it's it's an absolute riot. So, what would you say the average cost is for? an event once you you find a nice race let's pretend that weather's being cooperative and you're able to run what a what's that cost for you oh that's one of the really fantastic things about it that makes it one of the peak um things for grassroots motorsports in my opinion entry fees are 70 bucks all you need is a set of snow tires so maybe you go through one a year at a few hundred bucks but um i mean your daily expenses it cost me 
maybe a bit over a hundred dollars when I include the food and driving there and all that, but running costs are super low. Um, I mean, you don't use any brake, you don't use any gas cause you're not on the gas. <laughs> you really can't beat it for how accessible and cheap it is. You just need a helmet, set of snow tires and a car that's not white and you're good to go. Have so... you considered running on slicks? <laughs> I don't think they would allow that. But you have to be at least cognizant of the fact that your car you're taking, it shouldn't be your only car, let's put it that way. Well, I mean, you know, you're taking a risk every time you go and uh, race with people, but um, I race in the street legal classes, and a lot of those people drive the, their cars on a daily basis. Most cars I see in, in my class, uh, we drive them to and from the events, and I've never seen anyone who's unable to come away from it. We've all got a good understanding that we're here to have a good time, be safe, and drive home. So, um, yeah, I've never seen anything nasty happen, but there are the big um, big race car classes where you need a cage and all that and those guys get to race a little bit harder other than that you've done ice racing uh you've also done real life endurance racing at virginia international and watkins and glenn uh tell us how you got into that and your experiences doing endurance racing so big shout out to huge ass here you guys are the only ones i've been doing wheel to wheel with so <laughs> far um but yeah, I came to the first race we ever did uh, just after we got the car. I was still in college back then, so I couldn't afford to race with you guys. And I was jonesing so hard and <laughs> I think I've made it to everything since. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's an absolute riot. You can't beat stuff like Champ Car for um, pavement racing wheel to wheel. It's it's an unbeatable value and there's nothing more fun than uh, pavement racing, especially endurance is a riot with with all your buddies. You're supporting each other. The stakes are higher because, um, you know, you're driving a team's car so i love yep. it so much so other than that uh looking forward what do you entail doing do you want to keep doing ice racing do you still want to do endurance racing are you looking at something else like rally uh what kind of racing are you looking forward to well uh can i say all of the above <laughs> um i'm <laughs> yeah, definitely gonna car. Yeah, I will if I can. I'm definitely going to keep ice racing. We'll see where I go class-wise on that. The tires to go up from there, where I am right now, are not cheap, but um, that's a kind of one-time investment thing with how quick they go. Definitely going to keep endurance racing with you guys, and um, got a buddy that's uh, local that hopefully we'll be running with as well. I've done some rally cross in, uh, in the same Miata track and ice race, and absolute riot i want to keep doing more of it but i gotta find a different car for it because i just can't keep doing that to a track car it seems so. like it would be rally cross especially seems like it would be a lot of wear and tear upon a car you didn't want to take onto the track yeah i got rock stuck in my subframe from two years ago right, there's there still there. <laughs> let me ask you this what is there any racing that you would not be interested in would you do the baja 1000 would you like <laughs> is there anything that you're not wanting to hop behind the wheel and do if we put money aside, absolutely not. No, I'll, I'll get behind any wheel as long as it's moderately. Apart from motorbike. You heard it here first, kids. We're going to the Baja. We're going to win. It's just Baja. Yep. Fiesta's right after Baja. our uh, Sweden trip, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. After the Sweden uh, Paddock Pass road trip. Tom's paying for it. <laughs> yeah, give us give me a few years to build up that budget. Uh, All right, right, Evan. So let me give you a theoretical really quick. Let's pretend you hit the Powerball. You're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. How many Miatas do you own? Uh, that depends when the town forces me to stop buying them. Probably a couple <laughs> hundred by that point. I think. <laughs> and let me follow that up with how many run. 
Uh, probably at least half of them. Half of them at any one time, because the other half are donating parts to the others. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Which we have uh, we have precedent with first-hand um, experience uh, for those of you who uh, who missed the Watkins Glen podcast. Evan's car was uh, unwillingly, or certainly unwittingly, uh, very willingly in the end, pressed into service the parts car for the race car. Um, I think we took a we took a what did we take off there? An alternator. Yep, just the alternator. But that car has donated parts to three race cars in the past month. But I've gotten back by the end of the weekend every time. So it's, that's, it's, that's a win. That's fine. <laughs> Three out of three is a great sample size. We're uh, definitely good to count that one in. So yeah, bringing you back to your um, to your endurance racing, um, I think your first your first stint with us was twenty seventeen VIR twenty four, right? Where yep. you did a single stint towards the end of the race. How much track time had you had to that point before you got into the race car? I was probably around uh, offhand, I'd say maybe like four or six hours at that point. I had done um, a weekend and a couple days in my personal car prior to that, which is just a pretty much stock. And As an HPD or something like that? Yep, that kind of thing. So how, how did that feel in a, in a, you know, a full-on prepped spec Miata driving out onto VIR for the first time? Well, it's a whole lot louder. Um, just <laughs> bla- <laughs> blasting out of the pits the first time was it was amazing. It's like, oh my god, this is real when you feel the thing blah out of the pits, and and it's a green flag track with no point buys or anything like that. So, it's it's a lot to get used to with with so many cars out there. And um, blue feels really nice by comparison, a lot tighter all around and whatnot. Um, so it was a nice step up, and and you just can't beat the wheel to wheel stuff, no point buy action. I see that there's a photo circulating of you around majestically eating a slice of pizza in the garages at Watkins Glen. Was that, was that a setup? Did you purposely take that photo or what? Oh, that was completely candid. I'm just kind of a babe. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness, candy Merrill. <laughs> that's probably the best candid picture that will ever be taken of me. I'm pretty confident. It will be the cover photo to this episode of the podcast as well. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Fawcett, did you take that photo? No, Snipper did. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so that was that was a twenty eight uh twenty nineteen, sorry, Watkins Glen, the most recent uh disappointment. Um which was really a really a shame, um, as we've discussed in episode four. Um but you know, Evan, you were meant you were meant to drive us with, with us that weekend. We didn't get any laps at all. Um but I understand that hopefully you'll be back on track in Indianapolis. Heck yeah, I'm stoked for that. I'm just figuring out my travel plans. Just took the time off today, actually. But um, awesome. yeah, super stoked to drive at Indy. So yeah. Um, so for the for the listeners as well, we're coming up rapidly uh, to our next Champ Car race, uh, which will be Indianapolis on the weekend of the 13th, 14th of July. Um, and I think the car is uh, is in a better place than it was at Watkins Glen. Looks good. Uh, all we, signs are pointing to good, according to today's posts. Yep, uh, we've see, we've seen some good running of the uh, the car with the alternate with the ECU. Um, nothing weird cutting out anywhere. Uh, no funny stops or funny splutters. Uh, we're going to get the car on the dyno in the next couple of weeks before Indy. Fingers crossed, we should be in a good place. Um, so Evan, I mean. I, what 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 are your thoughts about heading to Indianapolis to drive to drive a race car and to drive in a real race? 
Oh, obviously it's a huge honor to go and drive at Indy. Um, I'm a little more apprehensive about that since nobody gets to drive the layout beforehand. So I'll definitely be on iRacing doing some practice. Um, but mm-hmm. it'll it's going to be a unique race for sure, um, both in just in terms of how cool the track is, the, the atmosphere, and uh, being a brand new circuit that none of us have ever run before. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 historic venue. Um... And also, like, yeah, as you say, we we don't get any practice time. Lap one, hour one, will be the first time that any of these cars have driven the circuit, um, which should be a challenge, I think. Um, maybe we'll see some uh, some attrition in the first few hours, and hopefully, we're not involved in any of that. Yeah, who's who's driving first? I I think we'll put we'll put Mister Mister Huge Ass himself in the car first of all. Um, he doesn't suffer any fools at all, and he'll be more than happy to uh, to stake his claim on the racetrack. Uh, so oh. I think that'll be a should be a good introduction. Um, so we've covered ice racing, we've covered Champ Car, we've covered HPDs. Is there any other uh, plans for racing this year? Oh, it's track season, and I'm too scared to keep rallycross in my car, so it's really all track stuff from here on out. I'm excited to get my car prepped for the VIR test day we got, and I do want to throw a little shout-out here um, to the, the viewers uh, with, with some of my other team, Occam's Racers. We did an aerodynamics test at Watkins Glen um, a couple, few weeks ago, so it's it's probably one of the more in-depth uh testing things that's been done on Miatas. We had a race engineer out for a couple of days, lots of sensors, um, got a lot of data together. Um, unfortunately, we were kind of time limited by weather and some other factors, so we didn't get to do a ton of front end stuff, but um, data for tops and wings and stuff. We'll have uh, some pretty cool real world data that I can't talk too much about, but keep an eye on grassroots motorsports. And- <laughs> well, I, I can share it with you guys, but there's going to be articles and stuff. So keep an eye on grassroots motorsports in the next right. couple of months. There should be some cool stuff. So you, like were, you were you first. So you were a test driver for this for this session. Yep, that was pretty cool. And there was a whole ton of IMSA cars and stuff out there. So um, it was pretty wild being out there with those cars and some big open wheelers and stuff. Especially when you're being asked to do all kinds of weird stuff for coast down testing and steady state drag and stuff like that. It was quite a lot. So to yeah. Keep so that, that 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 leads me to that question. Like, how how was the test drive experience different from a race stint in Jam Car? Uh, it was a bit of uh, a bit frustrating in that I never really felt like I got to be in the car long enough at a time to really start getting comfortable with it. Um, we would go out for like several laps at a time, um, and we would need to do like a few laps worth where we would try to hold a certain speed on a straight and then let it coast down into the corner, um, which is pretty crazy with everybody coming by you. But luckily those cars are, they're so fast in the first place that even if you get out out of the throttle at the S's uh, and coast all the way to the bus stop, the closing speeds for them, they probably don't even notice that you're off throttle because I mean, they're blasting by 160 or something. Well, I would normally be doing 110. So it's it's pretty nuts out there. Yeah, the test driving was very interesting, and just having a the engineer out there just doing data and all these sensors and stuff. It was a super unique experience. Really neat to be involved with. That's fascinating. And these these I, I know we can't talk about the results, but see some uh, some articles in Grassroots Motorsport coming up. Will these be um, results that maybe our own team could take to developing an aerodynamics package for Champ Car? 
But yeah, I'd say absolutely. We got some good data for you guys. We can talk about that one. So there we go. Some uh, exciting developments in the future. Uh, We're going full arrow. Full arrow. I mean, oh, frankly, let, let's let's get a couple of races under our belts with the new engine first, and then decide where we are. Um, when are we, we going to break out the nineteen um, sixties Formula One front wing uh, technology? Well, no, they just tried that. Uh, what's the team? Um, Parts Badger. Parts Badger. Yeah, Par- Parts Badger just tried it at Watkins Glen. They had a, a monster nine lives racing wing on the front of the car. They took it out. I think they got like two laps in during the practice and then Champ Car nixed it for whatever reason. But yeah. It was I, I, not pretty, but pretty impressive. I appreciate the effort, frankly. <laughs> um, I have a nod towards history, but I'm not sure it necessarily is the safest thing in the world. I mean, it's not that much different than a rear it's, wing as long yeah, as it's, it's well mounted. Not. And I saw that thing fly through the bus stop in the carousel, and it was making <laughs> huge ground on it, which is just awesome, in my opinion. A cheap little Miata ripping on a car like that. So, I well, it's funny. Yeah, Evan and I were standing there watching the cars go by, and we just saw this like when you first see it, it's just like this monster like rear wing on the front of the car, and we're like what is that and then you see it like absolutely destroying mid-corner speed a fully prepped carrera race car and you're just like all right like <laughs> that's cool this is this is the <laughs> ultimate form of the miata and we should all respect it i put a uh, smile on my face that was good enough for the rest <laughs> of the weekend so yeah uh stay tuned for any future error developments for team huge ass but uh that's that's excellent that you were able to get some good aerodynamic testing in with Occam's racer Shout out to them if they're listening. And uh, Man and Machine Consulting, who came out and did all the uh, engineering stuff for us. So, big thanks. And a reminder that sponsorship slots for the podcast are still open. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please get in touch. Um, so, thank you, Evan. Thank you for stopping by and, uh, and sharing your experiences with us. Um, we appreciate your time. And looking forward to seeing you at Indy in a few weeks' time. Of course, guys. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And that's going to wrap it up for uh, for this episode of the podcast. Um, thank you all for, for tuning in as usual, and we appreciate your support. Just a reminder, you can get in touch with us at our email address, which is hjmpodcast at gmail.com. That is hjmpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I've actually noticed, guys, um, keeping an eye on our podcast metrics, we've had another uptick in uh, in listeners around the around the globe. We have... Australian listeners, Danish listeners, Dutch, Norway, Sweden. AKA still it's no awesome. one in Antarctica. Still no one in Antarctica. I know that's your dream to get the penguin online. There's research but... stations with people with nothing to do on their downtime. We have to. How do we contact them? How do we capture we that audience? We just did it with ice racing. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Okay. We'll, we'll get the social media team on that. Oh, man. We'll, uh, we'll tag this with Antarctica and see what happens. Nice. <laughs> but uh yeah thank you for listening guys and uh it's good night from me tom edison with me has been andrew Fawcett. good night and alex Peace. Crawford. and in the booth michael derby keeping us all on track as a producer we appreciate his efforts and we'll look forward to being in touch with you for the next episode thanks everyone good night <laughs>